Good evening, everyone. Hello, hello. Uh, my name is Cody. Um, and I would actually just like to thank our visitors um, because I was going to do my preach fully in Afrikaans, uh, but just for your sake, I will, I will do it in English. Because of you guys, I'll do it in English. Um, so, yeah, Afrikaans is unfortunately not my first, first language, so I am thankful that I have freedom to speak in English tonight. So if you do not understand me, as you don't understand me, so yeah, I just want to, it's so amazing, that time of worship, just to see how the Holy Spirit was already, like he's, it was beautiful for me to see that he was doing something that we know only he can do, which is ultimately to reveal Jesus to us. Um, there's a scripture in John 17, um, where, oh no, John 16, sorry, where uh, Jesus is speaking to the disciples and he says to them, I will send the Holy Spirit and he will be the one that will reveal to you all the things that I've given to him. And my heart is really tonight that we as individuals would posture ourselves and let the Holy Spirit make Jesus known. Um, and to, yeah, to start us off, um, if you're wondering why I have such a thick Bible with me, such a big Bible, uh, it's not because I'm losing my eyesight, uh, like Conrad, it's actually because, <laughs> choke, 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 uh, choke. Um, I would like to read from us, for us from the NIV tonight, and I, I don't like turning my head like this. I just want to read while you guys read as well, and I don't own an NIV Bible, so I say thank you to Christine um, for this. Um, so to kick us off, I'd like us to go to John 17, verse 24. So I'm not used to this Bible. I must just quickly find where we are here. Yeah, but this is an introduction. This is like a study Bible. There's pictures and all sorts of things here. I just need to... Um, Okay, let's just turn for the first one. Okay. Um, so this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's about to go to the cross and he's praying to the Father. Uh, and this is probably one of my favorite verses. And he says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Um, and this scripture, in one sense, sets the tone for what we are trusting for tonight, or what I'm trusting for tonight, is that we would simply come and see the glory of Jesus, that Jesus would be revealed to us in the Word, and that we would see Him, and that we would just be, like, wrecked. Um, there's a song that I was listening to, and while they were busy playing, one of the guys came up, and he just said, he prayed, and he said, Lord, may we never recover from your touch. Uh, and that's really my heart tonight is that that which you see of Jesus tonight will render something in you, will cut something in you that will forever change the way you live your life and walk in relationship with him. Um, so to illustrate that, to do that tonight, I want us to go to Genesis 22. Genesis 22. And we're going to be reading about the story of Abraham and Isaac. Uh, so many of you may know it, um, but I really want us to look at it tonight and, yeah, see Jesus in the Old Testament and, and yeah, just a foreshadow of what he was ultimately going to do for us on the cross. So from verse 1, um, there we go. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I, oh wait, sorry. 
He said to him, Abraham, here I am. He replied, Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Moriah, Moriah, so it's Moriah. There we go. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. So make note of that. That's important. We're going to get back to it just now. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. He himself carried the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, oh sorry, he said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. So let's stop there. Um, so before we go on to verse 10, what I want us to look at is, it says here in verse 6, if you could go back to verse, just before verse 6, yeah. It says that Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering. So the, that part, verse 5, he says, we will worship and then we will come back again. So he's saying to the guy that walked with them, the servant that walked with them, so God has asked him to go and sacrifice his son. Um, and in one sense, God was testing Abraham's heart to see if he would be willing. Because a few chapters prior to this, God promises Abraham that through his offspring, he will inherit the nations. And so he gives him this great promise. And then later on, when he does end up getting Isaac as his son, um, God tests his heart by saying, okay, cool, would you be willing to sacrifice your son? But something that stands out for me that I would like to just make note of, we'll get back to it later, is that God has asked Abraham to go and sacrifice his son. But here Abraham is saying, don't worry, we will see you just now, not me. So I've, I, before, like two days ago, I had never read that there. That he says, Abraham already knew prior to going to sacrifice his son, that he wouldn't need to sacrifice his son. Okay? So I'm going to explain that just now. We're going to get back to it just now. Um, but I want us to continue reading. Um, then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a, ha a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught up in its horns. He went over and he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So I want us to sit with this verse. Um, and for those of you who don't know, the person of Jesus and the story of Jesus Christ and what he would ultimately do for us on the cross is found in all of Scripture. From the beginning of time, Jesus was going to die for our sins. And we see that in the beginning of the book of Genesis where Adam and Eve had sinned and they had 
in once they had broken covenant with God, and that's when we see that they could all of a sudden recognize that they were naked, and they try to clothe themselves with leaves, and what God had done is he, he killed an animal, and with that clothing, with that skin, he covered their nakedness, their sin, which was the first foreshadowing of what Jesus would ultimately do for our sin, our nakedness, is he would shed his blood, which would then cover us. Um, and here we see another foreshadowing of that, where instead of needing to sacrifice his one and only son, the, his most prized possession, God sends a lamb. He sends a ram. And what's very interesting for me and what I want us to look at tonight, because the heart is really that we would see what Jesus has done for us and that each of us would, in one sense, be, take a deeper step in seeing Jesus. And when I read this scripture about a ram that's, and when it's caught in the thicket, so its horns are stuck in a bush. So it's a bit helpless. It can't move. It can't go anywhere. And it's in one sense ready to be taken, to be sacrificed. And something that I thought of, or, or something that I felt came up to me, was a passage in Isaiah 53 that I want us to look at. Okay? And this is a, a, a passage that also speaks of Jesus, where it says, He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry, gra- dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was de- despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we were healed. Um, Just go back and just go back and just stay there for a moment, Daniel. So, there's not really much I would like to add tonight, as much as what I would like us to just trust that God would, through his word, reveal something deep of who Jesus is to us, that like that lamb, that ram that was caught up, in one sense, helpless and unable to flee, being used as a sacrifice, in that same way, we see here that Jesus was willing to come. When we were lost, afflicted, it says in Romans 5, Uh, If you can quickly go there, Daniel, Romans 5. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And something that blows my mind about the person of who Jesus was, was he was in heaven with the Father, with the Holy Spirit. It's perfect. There is absolutely no problems. There's perfect love. There's peace. It's just, there's no issues. And then he looks and he sees a fallen world. He sees us, sinners. And we're not friends of him. We're not 
acquaintances. He doesn't, in one sense, know us like that. It says that we were his enemies. Sinful, unrighteous, and yet at that place, he said, I'm willing to come, to give my life. And I want us for a moment to not see it as a far off, but imagine a person, a man, that has such a, that has such a character, that is of such nature, that he's willing to say, I will die for the unrighteous. And to, to illustrate that, I want to imagine, imagine you're a father, and you have, you have a kid, or you're a mother, and you have a child, and you look at people that are lying, stealing, living in, I, I don't want to get too descriptive, but living in absolute sin. People, those guys that you look at them and you're like, you don't deserve anything. You deserve to go to jail. You deserve to have your life ruined because you've earned it. Like, you're just so bad. And then you say, okay, but I actually, I want you to come into life. I want you to be saved from where you are. But it's going to cost me. So I'm going to give you my son or my daughter. And I'm going to sacrifice them so that through that price you can come. And the only reason I'm trying to do this is in one sense I'm trying to make it personal for us to recognize the process, to recognize the, the intensity of what took place when Jesus said I'm willing to leave heaven and come to earth and die on a cross. Um, so Isaiah 53, Daniel, verse 4 and 5. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we were healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And something that's very important for me to recognize, or something that I recognized, was that when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, it was not a glorious death. When we look back now, in our context, it's, it's a glorious death because in his death, we have victory. But at that point, when he died, it was one of the most same, shameful, disgusting ways to die. He died as a criminal. Shameful, like just despised by everyone, hated, spat on. And it, 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 was, it was so, so bad. Um, and... In one sense, we see how bad it is because there's that movie, the, the Passion of the Christ, where they illustrate the crucifixion. And actually, it's, it's, it's difficult to look at. It was so bad. Like, it's, it's hard to see that someone would be willing to endure such pain, to endure such suffering. Um, and if you can go back to verse 5, Daniel, where it says, He was pierced for our transgressions, and He was crushed for our iniquities is that the love of Jesus is of such a nature that he was willing to, to literally be pierced for us so that we could be saved. And I want us to continue seeing this person, see a man that has this character, see a man that has this nature. Try and imagine to yourself a person living amongst us that is of such a nature 
And when we start seeing this more and more, we start recognizing that he's ultimately the only one that is worthy of our affection. He's the only one in this earth, on this world, in this universe that deserves attention, that deserves adoration, that deserves praise. Um, and I'm continuing to trust that as we see this, it'll be like a natural reaction where in the book of Revelation, Conrad shared last weekend that when John the Apostle had a vision and he saw Jesus, it says that as he saw him, he fell face down. And in one sense, I'm trusting more and more that we would metaphorically, perhaps even physically, fall face down. Um, figuratively, sorry, not metaphorically, but that we would fall face down before him, that our hearts would fall as we see him. Because um, ultimately, and I really want to share tonight that this is, this is the prize of salvation. A lot of people in the world are, are, are proclaiming that the prize for salvation is to enter into heaven, freedom from sin, and there's a lot of things that they mention that are really good, but I feel like, especially in my generation, something that we are missing is the, victor, the, the, the beauty of simply being able to see Jesus, of being able to behold Jesus and be in relationship with him. And there's, uh, there's a, a famous preacher that one of the things that he continuously harps on is the joy that he finds in being able to enjoy Jesus, where he says, all my satisfaction is found in just simply being able to enjoy God, because I was an enemy, I was sinful, I was deserving of wrath, I was deserving of eternal separation, but because he was willing to be crushed, because he was that lamb that was led to the slaughter, through that now, I have been saved. Um... And if you could go to Genesis 22, verse 6, Daniel. Um, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. Imagine carrying the wood that was going to be used to, like, in one sense, burn you after you're dead. It sounds, it sounds crazy, but then we have a quote by Octavius Winslow that says, So completely was Jesus bent upon saving sinners by the sacrifice of himself. He created the tree upon which he was to die and nurtured from infancy the men who were to nail him to the accursed wood. Jesus created the tree that he knew he would ultimately hang on for our sins. And he, in one sense, protected and nurtured the men that were going to persecute him and ultimately hang him, that were going to lash him and beat him because he loves us, because he desires to glorify the Father, because he wants us to be in relationship with him. There is nothing else like this in the world. This is not a story that man can make up. The, in the book of Corinthians, it says that in the wisdom of God, he sent his son to die for sins. He did something that no man would have ever thought of to do, which is to send the glorious one in heaven to become a servant, to ultimately die a shameful death that would pay the price for our sins. And in light of all of this, uh, as I come in for a landing, after everything that he has done, 
after giving up his, his, his throne in heaven, coming down, living a difficult life where it says that he didn't even have a, a place to lay his head. That Jesus, even before he died, he lived a difficult life, not a glamorous one. Even though he was actually the only one that deserved to live a fruitful life. And after all of this, going to the cross, hanging on the cross, giving his life, it didn't end. Because it says in, we see in, uh, can you go to Philippians 2? Go to verse 9. One more. Okay, well, while Daniel gets that, oh, there it is. Yo, Afrikaans. Daarom het God om ook uitermaat verhoog en om een naam gegeen wat boe elke naam is. Sorry, I feel like my Afrikaans steals from that verse. Um, so, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. After all of these things, when Jesus died on the third day, he rose and he went to be seated with the Father. But what's crazy for me about who Jesus is, is it's not like, okay, cool, he's far off now. He's in heaven. It's like, oh, shucks. He's disconnected from our lives. But it says that while being in heaven, Romans 8 verse 34, who is He that condemns Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. When I look at the things that I sometimes do, the mistakes that I make, I wonder what makes me worthy of Jesus interceding for me. That he takes time to pray for me. That he he looks after me. That he's in heaven with God and he can be just basking at who, Jesus, at who God is, the Father, and enjoying that. Yet he says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to bow, to come before the Father and say, Lord, help Cody. Protect him. Help him endure. Help him seek me. And that for me, is, it blows my mind how amazing Jesus is. He's so, so, so beautiful. And I want to encourage us, for me, practically, it helps to take his characteristics and to actually attach it to a physical person, because that is who he is. He's not far off. But, and, and his nature and his character, as described in the Bible, was his very nature and character when he walked the face of the earth. That's who he was. And for me, when I read of this, I can't. Like it, we there there is no one else. There is like I want to. I, we, we can walk around and we can ask anyone. Please name someone else that is like this. Give me someone else that is like this. Mention another man that is like Jesus. There's no one. And the last thing that I want to say, and this is this is nuts. When Jesus was hanging on the cross. Beaten, he was lashed 39 times, like it's, he's hanging, he's struggling to breathe, nails in his hands, one of the most gruesome deaths anyone has ever died. While they're busy cursing him for what he has, just for being on the cross, they're just cursing him. I want to use the word like let well, like in light of the fact that he spent his whole time on earth actually 
helping them. He was, he, was, he was healing. He was bringing the kingdom of... He didn't do anything wrong. He, he came to bring the kingdom of God and now he's hanging on the cross because of it. And now he's ultimately going to give his life. And there's one small passage in, I think it's Luke, where Jesus prays to God while he's hanging on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And I don't know about you guys, but if I'm hanging on a cross not having done anything wrong, the last thing I'm thinking about is God having grace on the people that put me there. And I mean, one practical example, if you're driving and somebody cuts in front of you, the first thought you don't have is like, Lord, have grace for them. Like, forgive them. They do not know that they're cutting in front of me. Um, But on a more serious note, like genuinely, have you ever heard of such a man? that would respond that way, that would say such a thing. So my heart is really, I I was sensing in the Lord that all we would do and all we've done tonight is just look at how the Word describes Jesus. There's like three verses. There's so many. The whole book is about Him. Guys, it's great. Please, let us search the Scriptures and see more of the beauty of Jesus. And I want to say that this Christian walk, it can become very overwhelming we're trying to grow, we're stretching, we're giving ourselves to the church, we're seeking to grow in certain areas, but may we never lose sight of the, the gift that it is to just enjoy Jesus. And when we see Him, all those other things, they fall into place. It's easy to walk in those things when you truly see Jesus. So I really, I, I want to encourage us with that. Um, 